We are glad to welcome you tonight to our evening service. We're going to begin with number 34, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Oh, how I love to hear, I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in mine ear, the sweetest name on earth. Let's stand, please, to worship the Lord. these final words and therewith, therewith all the blood-bought throng from sin and sorrow free. I'll sing the new eternal song of Jesus' love to me. Our song is a song of redemption here and now on earth, and we sing that with joy in our hearts. Sometimes our joy may not be quite what it should be, 
But nonetheless, we praise Him with the spirit that we have. But in glory, when we arrive there, our song will not be hindered. It'll not be stifled. It'll not be restrained or restricted in any way. And then, brothers and sisters, we will sing with all of our being to the praise of our God for all eternity. And what joy that will be. This final verse. I want to remember tonight in prayer about our sister Serene. I mentioned her today, this morning, and uh, she was in the hospital and then was released and sent home again. But Flo had to take her back to the hospital this afternoon because of some further complications. We remember our dear sister in the Lord and before Him tonight. Let's come to pray now. Father, what joy there is for us to gather for our evening service of praise and worship. And as we have been singing this song, it is a song of thanksgiving, a song of worship, a song, Lord, that speaks of our testimony, of the love that we have for our Savior because of the love that He first has given to us. And, O oh God, we know that we have been loved by the Trinity of the Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity. This is a wonder. This is a truth that we cannot fully grasp or enter into, Lord. When we know our hearts and we know what we have been saved from, we pray tonight that there would be truly a spirit of thanksgiving. Even as we were thinking today around the table, Communion time, remembering our Lord's death for us. Dear Father, give us constant joy. Help us to walk in the Spirit each day that we will grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, give us strength tonight, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the help to understand the Word. Help it to be applied, Lord, to our hearts. Remember others who are set aside in beds of sickness, cannot be out at the service. Again, we hold up our dear Sister Serene. Lord, her name has been upon our lips in prayer in our hearts for a long time. And we're asking, Father, for much grace to be poured out upon her tonight and be with Flo as she takes care of her and shows friendship that goes a second and third mile. Remember my brother Ron today. Remember Richard Teo. Strengthen these ones that have ongoing problems and issues. And Lord, remember others who are set aside because of sickness, 
Strengthen them where they are. We pray for Brother Cranston. We ask with thanksgiving, Lord, that he will be strengthened more and more to continue in the ministry in Port Hope. Thankful Brother Siman there tonight ministering the Word. Lord, we pray for Brother Bodner. Remember his dear wife as well. Strengthen him in the bed of languishing and of, of illness. Our Father, we think not only of those who are sick in a physical way, but perhaps burdens heavy upon them spiritually or in the family, some burdens that maybe they don't talk about or share, but they are deep in the heart. And Lord, may they, each one of us know Your grace that's necessary in every time of need. Father, we have been told to cast our care upon Thee, for Thou dost care for us. And I pray that we will understand what that means, put it into practice by faith. We will cast our burdens upon the Savior, knowing that Thou art our burden-bearing Lord. Father, remember all of our congregations tonight across Canada, the United States, our missionaries. We ask, Lord, for Your blessing to be upon each one of these sites, and not ourselves only, but also, Lord, every faithful tongue that is declaring the wonder of so great salvation, the wonder of our Redeemer. We pray that as His name is lifted up, that many souls will be brought to faith and trust in Him and know what it is to have everlasting salvation, the joy and peace of Christ in their heart here and now. And Lord, we've been thinking about the song that we have. And with the throngs in heaven, as we will gather around the table of the Lamb, around the throne of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, there we will bask in the majesty and the glory of Christ. Lord, we will lift our praise and worship and thanksgiving to our Father in heaven. And dear Lord, help us, we ask, to be a light and a witness for whatever time we have remaining. Lord, open our hearts and our mouths to speak a word of testimony and witness. Take away the fear of man. Help us, therefore, to step out in faith and to give us those words and an open door that we might speak of the wonders of what has happened to us. Lord, help us to share our testimonies and to have the joy of leading people to Christ. Hear our prayer tonight. Remember our nation. We have great need. Our leaders are in great need. We pray for their salvation. We pray, O God, for the restraint from evil. We ask that You would bless our nation. And, Lord, we would know a gracious awakening from Your hand. Have mercy upon us, we pray, Lord, we realize, we believe that the prayer, the intercession of Your people across this entire globe is that which keeps going. The work of God helps us, we pray, to be those in the center of Your will and knowing the rich and mighty blessing of our God upon us. So, Lord, use us, we pray, 
Bless this congregation. Be with every family, every individual in our church. Lord, again, save our unsaved loved ones. Bless the testimony and the witness of our sign at the corner that scrolls the Word of God continually. May it be a blessing to every heart, believer and unbeliever. Hear us now as we continue in our praise. We ask in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Number three, 255, as we continue in our worship. 255, we'll stand to sing. thinking about that today, about the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. Was it for me he wept and prayed, my load of sin before him laid? That night within Gethsemane, was it for me that agony? Was it for me he bowed his head upon the cross and freely shed his precious blood, that crimson tide? Was it for me the Savior died? And friends, tonight, whether you're in Christ, if you are, then you rejoice with so great salvation. If you're not a believer, if you're outside of Him, then the gospel word goes out freely tonight to everyone. Come to put your trust in Him. You will find that He is a faithful Savior 
one who will receive you willingly, will save your soul, and grant you life eternal and peace with Him. For the final verse. Turning in our scriptures tonight to Psalm 40. Many times we have read this psalm both in our service and I know you have also read it in your private devotions. We would call this a messianic psalm, and perhaps we could add another dimension to it and call it the Gethsemane messianic psalm. As we read, think on what we were talking on this morning, and we hope to conclude tonight. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared 
thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me, for innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head, therefore mine heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. The Lord bless His Word to our hearts tonight and write it upon our minds and give us clarity and understanding. And as we continue in our thought today, tonight, about our Lord's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, that it will come with greater gravity, greater power uh, to our hearts and help us to understand the depth of our Lord's suffering on our account. We want to welcome you all tonight to our evening worship service in person and online, and we trust that the Lord would bless His Word to every heart. You know, we say that almost every service, and yet it is not said without meaning. If we're gathered in the house of God here and we don't receive a blessing from His Word, well then, there's a problem. And we want there to be no restraint, no restriction. We want the Word of God to flow freely. And as it goes out, the Spirit of God will take that and use it to instruct all of us and teach us in the way that we are to go. So warm word of welcome to everyone here in our service. We have a couple of happy, positive announcements to give you tonight, and one of them has to do with a word of congratulations to uh, Maher and Rhea, to their family, in the marriage of their daughter Sonia. On Friday, Sonia was married to her fiancé Diego, now her husband, and we want to just congratulate the whole family, and we are thankful to the Lord for them. And we pray for Sonia as she grew up here in our church and in our Sunday school in the Whitfield. And we desire only the best of God's blessing upon her in her life and now in her hus- with her husband together that they would know the blessing of the Lord 
to be upon them. Also want to bring you up to date on the situation in Cloverdale. The, I told you some weeks ago, actually it's four weeks ago now, that there was a congregational meeting and I oversaw that meeting in British Columbia and they issued a call to Reverend Andrew Fitton to become their new minister. Well, certain things had to go through the processes as our brother Andrew Fitton has been living in Calgary, Alberta, and he married uh, his wife there. And he is from Northern Ireland and is a student for the ministry there, went through the seminary, the college, and uh, was licensed from the Ulster Presbytery as a, a licentiate minister. Well, what that all means is that it adds just one more step in the process because that call that was issued to him from the Cloverdale Church, uh, out of respect and due order, was sent over to our brethren in the Presbytery in Ulster, and they met on Friday night. They meet week or monthly for their Presbytery meetings, and that was an item of business to see if they would give the go-ahead, and they have sustained that vote, and they are, are wishing all the best to Brother Andrew Fitton and also the Cloverdale congregation. So that part has been cleared, and our own presbytery had also ratified that call, so it means that things are able to move clearly forward. And we are happy, and we would encourage you to pray for a Brother Fitton, as he now has to take on that responsibility, and he puts that upon himself by the Lord's grace, as God has called him, and the congregation has extended that call. So we want to pray for Andrew and his wife, Hannah, and also that they will, in their preparations as they're going forward to take up the work in Cloverdale. Now, Hannah in Calgary is a school teacher. She's under contract to the end of June. So that means they cannot move to uh, Cloverdale in British Columbia until that time period, but we will keep you up to date on that. One positive thing also about that is that Brother Andrew Fitton is going to come here in May for our presbytery. I've invited him to come, and he has already agreed and made his flight. And so on the Lord's Day before that, on the Sunday morning, he's going to be preaching for us here in our church. And that will help you to get to meet him, to know him, and then also to pray more effectively for him and for the future of that congregation. So that's a very positive thing. And another answer to prayer, as we have been asking for the Lord to fill up the vacant pulpits that we have in our congregation denomination, and that's a very important thing and a step in the right direction. So we rejoice and thank God for that. There will be tonight after the evening service a young adult choir practice. And then please remember on Wednesday evening, our Bible study and prayer time at 7.30, and then on Thursday, our session and board meeting at 6 and 7.30, and then also next Lord's Day, all of our regular meetings. A couple of things to pray about and some conferences to let you know about coming up to the Easter time. Truth in my day's ministry, uh, Pastor Tors. He will be holding a conference here on March the 25th, two weeks before Easter proper, 
and it will be on the subject of the resurrection. Now, the posters are out in the back in the foyer, so you take a look at that and read those details, and I know you'd be welcome to come along. It will be held here in our church building. And then on Easter Friday and Saturday in our church, the Brethren Assemblies have booked our building, and they will be holding their own Easter conference here. Well, also on the same time of Easter in Port Hope, in the 7th on Friday afternoon and evening, and then on Saturday evening, there will be meetings. Reverend John Wagner will be coming up for those services, Lord willing. And you're most welcome to go to any or to all of those meetings, take in as many as you can. I think they will be a blessing and an encouragement for you all. Let's turn and sing another hymn together, number 75, The Love of God, number 75, remaining seated tonight as we sing to the Lord's praise. Stand, please, for this final verse.
Please turn to Luke chapter 22. Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. We'll begin reading at verse 39. We read a parallel portion this morning from Mark's Gospel, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all contain uh, this account. I mentioned from Mark's Gospel this morning that between two of the verses and just before we began that reading, well, we find a similar situation of the accounts from John 13 to 17 contained between these two verses. In this case, it's verse 38 and 39. We're picking up our reading at verse 39 tonight. The Lord has been in the upper room with His disciples. He had the Last Supper there, went through extensive teaching. And now in verse 39, And He came out and went, as He was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and His disciples also followed Him. And when He was at the place, He said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, He found them sleeping for sorrow, and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Let's ask the Lord, please, to bless us tonight as we continue in our study. Father, we come to another service, a meeting, a gathering of Your people. And this meeting is different from any other one that we have held. We've never been here before, and we will not be in this place at this time ever again. And therefore, Lord, I pray that we will count the value of such a time, that we will count this as instructive 
vitally important to our own Christian growth. And that, Lord, we will not take for granted times such as this, where we have health and strength to be in Your house, for the days may soon be upon us. We are not able, or we have been taken home to glory. And Father, I pray, therefore, that as we gather, each one of us will be conscious of the Savior by us in our place, that we will be instructed by the Spirit of God with our eyes open and our minds and hearts focused. Lord, speak to us tonight through the Word and apply the truth to our hearts. Hear us now, we pray. Give me strength, Lord, to speak Your Word faithfully and clearly. Hear our prayer, Father. Save some soul tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Gethsemane's prayer. Psalm 40, the Messianic psalm, which I believe could fit right in to Gethsemane's prayer. There was much more, I believe, that the Lord prayed about. We have recorded here in these very brief words in the Gospel accounts. Our Lord Jesus has just finished some extensive teaching, a wearying time bodily. Let's not forget that before He got to the place of the upper room with His disciples, He had faced intense confrontation from the Jews, the Pharisees that were against Him. You'll remember from Matthew 24, in that final journey He left from Jerusalem, when He made that declaration against the city that your house is left unto you void, vacant, empty. And the Lord, as He was teaching His own disciples about what would be in the future, what would come to pass, what they could expect, and what they were presently facing and going to face when the Lord was taken from them. And all of these things flooding into their minds, how they were comprehending it, how they were understanding it. We know from the context of the Scripture, oftentimes very little did they comprehend at that moment. And it was not until after the Lord had risen from the dead that these things brought back to their remembrance by the Holy Spirit, yes, then they were able to grasp. And that should not catch us as any surprise, because how many times do you and I have to be taught the same things from the Lord? We have read them, we have heard them preached, but we have to have them reinforced to us a second, third, fourth, fifth time. And eventually, they are fastened to our minds 
And dear friends, when the Lord does teach us those things, we can say we have been taught of God and we will learn those things from Him and pray that our souls will be edified by them. Our Lord has now come to this next step and stage in Gethsemane. The garden He had often resorted to with His disciples, it was a place that they could separate themselves from the crowds, from the hustle and bustle of a busy life, and the Lord would be there with His men to teach them, to commune with them, to pray with them. It was most significant because they had heard the Lord pray different occasions, but they had never heard a prayer quite like this one. And they had not witnessed as far as what James and John would have seen at that time. They would have witnessed the Lord when He came back to them, the examples of the Lord, the blood perhaps still on His face that had come from His pores as a result of the great stress that He was under. And dear friends, as we come once more to this ground, we tread on it carefully. We dare not read over a portion like this quickly, but to do it solemnly and often, each time asking for the Holy Spirit to write its truth upon our minds and apply it, that we might have a deeper love for the Lord who has given Himself for us. We will love Him because He has first loved us. We can never go wrong when considering the theme of Gethsemane, of our Lord's suffering. And this morning, we considered the humility of Christ in His prayer. For He kneeled down and He prayed. And many times, His disciples would have witnessed such praying. But it must have been very striking to them to see their Lord and Redeemer on His knees, pouring out His soul to His Father in heaven with such intensity. We want to be sure that our attitude to prayer is never a secondary thing. We want to take from the example of our Lord Jesus in Gethsemane and in His prayer life and say, Lord, may we follow that example. For he that saith he abideth in Christ ought himself also so to walk as he walked. Prayer is an essential matter for us in our spiritual growth and our well-being. We need that in every area of our life and our family and our church. And as we are called to present our supplications before the Lord, to bombard the very throne of grace, and yet not to come with timidity at all, but to come to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of our need, our Lord presents to us an example of where to come in time of trouble and how to pour out our souls before Him. 
Because if He did that, we would do well to follow Him in that very way. We thought also this morning about the anguish of the Lord's soul. For in verse 44, we are told about the great agony that He was in, how that His sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is the first time we are confronted with the Savior's anguish of heart in His life. Though He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and He was living among those who were rebels to Him, those who rejected Him, He was in a sinful world, a sinless Savior. That in itself was a burden that He had to bear, the faithlessness of His disciples as He said to them on more than one occasion, O ye of little faith, they had heard, they should have known, and the Lord yet bore with them the anguish that our Lord went through and that He suffered was because of that cup that He must drink. And we thought about the content of that cup, not the fear of death, not the fear of suffering. He knew from eternity He was coming to bear that. And yet when it came right down to what He was going to bear of the weight of the iniquity and how that He was going to be made sin for us who knew no sin from all eternity. He had never experienced this. But He was going to bear the sins of His people. That was a fearful sight before the Son of God. Such a burden of heart How can we properly understand them or convey those words? And yet He said, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from Me. The anguish of our Lord and the depth of such an agony. He was made to bear my sin away. And He willingly came to take such a depth of agony into his own being and heart. As the sweat ran from him, as great drops of blood falling to the ground, it is so an example, an illustration of the great intense sorrow and suffering that our Lord Jesus went through and that he endured for rebels and for sinners and for hell-deserving people like you and like me tonight. And when we begin to think and try to comprehend what was going on in that scene, we are confronted with the wonderful mystery of the person of our Redeemer, the one who, of two natures, the one who of two wills and yet of one person, of the divine nature who knows all things from before the foundation of the world and all things for eternity, and yet the nature of the man who was able to say that his second coming 
is known by the Father, but not known by the Son. He submitted Himself with such a humility, and of the two wills, of having a divine will and a human will, He knew what it was to think and a reason and to understand as a man. He is the man who in the garden prayed, Lord, remove this cup from me. And he is also the one who identified himself as the I am. And you'll remember when they came to arrest the Son of God, and he said, he said who do you seek? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. That's all he said. And immediately they fell backwards. Why? Because for a split second, he revealed his divinity. And no man could stand in his presence. And they all fell back. But it was just a split second that he showed that. And the second time when he said, whom do you seek? And he identified himself. He allowed them to come and to take him. This is the Son of God and the Son of Man. This is the very one who in the garden is praying. My dear friends, as we consider this and try to comprehend the magnitude of it, we say, Lord, give us help from heaven. Give us the help of the Spirit of God to comprehend, to understand, to enter in to the depths of this. For of ourselves we are completely helpless. We'd be wandering about groping in the dark, just as the disciples so often did. No, we're just like the disciples. We're sleeping while the Lord is going through the worst that He has to go through. But as the Lord said to His disciples, could you not watch with Me one hour? Oh, you'll remember, just moments before this, Peter would say to Him, I will go to the death with you, my Lord. I will fight for you to the end. And yet, not long after, Peter, the great defender, cannot even keep his eyes open. No. The weakness of the flesh. I want us tonight, and the third thought in this message is this, the submission of the will of the Son of God. For when he started out by saying, Take this cup from me. It was followed immediately by these words, Not my will, but thine be done. It was the human will of Christ that naturally recoiled from pain and suffering and death. For as a real man, he was subject to the feelings of our infirmities. But that did not mean his rejection or rebellion to the will of God. Let's be very clear about that. 
the Lord's immediate response was, not my will. Not my human will. But does that mean that it was only the human will that was subject to the Father apart from the divine? No, friend, exactly the opposite. For the divine will of Christ was always willingly subject to the will of His Father, having been sent from eternity to redeem fallen humanity. This is something that we, uh, it's impossible for us to comprehend. The Logos, the Son of God, from all eternity knew that there was coming a point in human history and time when He would come to this earth. He knew there was a point in time when He would suffer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew there was a point in time He would come to die on a cross. And from all eternity, the Son of God willingly submitted Himself to the will of His Father. He knew what He must do. And He was not coerced into it. Oh no, friend. The Son of God did not have to come down to this world with an arm twisted up His back. But He came willingly to do the will of His Father. There is a doctrine that is called the eternal subordination of the Son to the Father. It is a debated subject. Some theologians would argue that the Son of God, the Logos, was not always submissive to the Father. That there came a point when He agreed and submitted Himself and took on human flesh. But before that, He was not submissive to the Father. But this doctrine of the eternal subordination of the Son teaches that our Lord Jesus, that the Logos, the Son of God, has been from all eternity in the position of subordination to His Father. Those who would argue against that would say that this is something to undermine the Trinity, undermine the doctrine of the equality of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. For they would say, how could it be that one person of the Trinity could be subordinate to the other person of the Trinity forever. If they are equally God, equal in spirit, equal in will, equal in being, my friend, the undeniable fact of the Word, as we are presented in John chapter 1 and verse 1, the Logos, before taking human flesh, He was called 
the Son of God. Make this very clear in your mind. The Logos, the Word, did not become the Son of God at Bethlehem. He has always been the Son of God. And this is where the doctrine of the eternal subordination of the Son to the Father comes into play. And we find this if you turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. Unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of Thy kingdom. And if you have never taken this verse or thought about it as a verse to prove the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, then please mark that in your Bibles and memorize that in your own private devotion. The teaching of Hebrews 1 verse 8 is very clearly setting forth and exalting who Jesus Christ really is and what He came to do. And it is the Father in heaven who is speaking about His Son. And He is speaking about His Son as being God forever and forever. Now what is fascinating is that this quotation in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8 is taken from Psalm 45. And Psalm 45 is a messianic psalm. And if you turn there to Psalm 45, and verse number 6, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And the whole context of Psalm 45 is relayed to us in Hebrews chapter 1. And the New Testament gives us the commentary of who God is speaking to the Father. He is speaking to His only begotten Son. And it shows us and proves to us that before Christ was ever born in Bethlehem, He was the Son from all eternity. There was a heresy, but there still is a heresy for those who still believe it, but it was somewhat prominent some years ago, even among some evangelicals, that tried to say that Christ was not the eternal Son of God, but that He took on that sonship when He was born in Bethlehem's manger. But that, friend, is not a biblical truth. When we are presented with the sonship of our Redeemer, 
if we can comprehend to some degree the structure of the Godhead, the eternal subordination of the Son to the will of His Father is communicated in such phrases as, I do always those things that please Him. And as the Father looks down upon the Son when He was being baptized, He said, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Son of God at the baptism is the same Son of God that was mentioned in Hebrews 1 verse 8 going back to Psalm 45. This is the mysterious and complex person of the Redeemer. And when we attempt to scale the heights of His person, or we try to go down to the depths of His being, we will fail to comprehend how this all comes together. He is the man, Christ Jesus. He is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And the Son of God whose majesty and power will be revealed when He comes in power and great glory to destroy the devil and all his angels into a bottomless pit of hell forever and forever. It is the Son of God from eternity that came to earth, that bled and died, that was buried and rose again, ascended to glory, and will be coming back again to establish forever His everlasting kingdom. This is our Redeemer. And this is our Lord, who on His knees in the Garden of Gethsemane sweat His own blood in order, friends, that you and I could be brought into His eternal and everlasting family. Yes, the humility of our Lord in His prayer and the anguish of His soul and the submission of His will to the will of His Father. And when we consider the subject of the eternal subordination of the Son to the Father. It is in the very structure of the office of the picture that is presented to us of the Father and the Son. It does not detract at all from the trinal attributes of our God and the Father and the Son. Not at all. But it helps us to see the picture for us that is presented of that eternal relationship that has always existed and that always will exist in the Trinity. Friends, here we also, coming back to Luke 22, we're told that the Lord got up from His time of prayer. And this is the final thought I leave with you tonight. It's Christ's victory over a temptation. Verse 45 says, And when he rose up from prayer, he was come to his disciples, and he found them 
sleeping for sorrow, and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And Luke only mentions this first interaction between the Lord and His disciples, but Matthew and Mark will tell us there were three such interactions where He came back to them, and finally the third time He said to them, Sleep on. The Lord knew the weariness of the flesh, But when he said to them the third time, sleep on, he said, they are at hand now who are coming to arrest me. But the Lord had risen from his struggle and wrestle with the devil in hell. And there is a peace that has come over him at that juncture. And the angel that was sent from the Father to strengthen him in the weakness of his human flesh And the Lord is now going forward victor over the temptation of the devil. For at that juncture, as I mentioned this morning, Satan was intent on killing the Lord Jesus before he ever got to Calvary's cross. Because if he had have died before he got there, we would not be redeemed from our sin today. He would have died in defeat instead of dying in victory. But our Lord was victorious in the Garden of Gethsemane, victorious over all that hell could throw against Him. Oh, it was not the end of the journey for the Lord yet. There was much more for Him to experience. My friend, we hear those words of the Savior as He speaks to us, why sleep ye? Rise and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Our Lord knew what temptation was more fiercely, more intensely than any of us have ever or will ever experience. And He came through that. And He says to us tonight, pray on brother and sister. Pray on and pray through. So often, we know the weakness of our flesh and we fall asleep in our praying. We neglect our praying. We put other things in the place of it because we think they're more important. And how foolish we are in that. How human we are in that. But we do well to take a page out of our Lord's story and to see Him there in that garden and to pray, Lord, we need to be strengthened with might in the inner man. Yes, Lord, we would say we delight to do Your will, but we are so weak and helpless to fulfill Your will. We need Your strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to keep going and not to fall asleep and fall by the wayside. Ah, but the Lord knew the heart of Peter, didn't He? For He said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he will sift you as wheat. For Satan has desired to have me, Christ would say, that he could sift me away. But I have prayed for thee. 
I've prayed for you. And the Lord is praying for us tonight that we will be victorious and pray His name, praise His name, and through His grace we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We are tonight living in the victory of Calvary. Therefore, let us pray on and pray through and pray with joy and victory. Yes, my friends, we learn some things tonight from this. For if our Lord considered prayer of such immense value so that with intensified trial He prayed more earnestly. Did you notice that? Verse 44, And being in an agony, He prayed more earnestly. He had during the time of his intensified trial, he brought his prayer more intensely to the Lord. And that's what you and I are to do. When the temperature goes up in our life, when the trial becomes a trial by fire, a trial in the furnace of oppression, what are we to do? Lie down under it? No, friends. We're commanded and told what to do. The answer is, we come with greater earnestness in prayer before the Lord, seeking His face and crying out unto Him, for He is with us and has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. We learn also that if our Lord suffered so for us, should we not stop complaining over trivial matters? How silly we are so often. How foolish we are. That things that come across our pathway, little annoyances, little things that in the light of eternity, what are they? They're nothing. They're trivial. They're foolish. And yet we get so wound up in them. Does the example of our Lord not teach us to take serious things seriously? and not to be cast down by so small matters. We also learn from this portion of Scripture tonight that we would surrender our wills completely to our Heavenly Father, who, note this, is working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You see, what the Father is doing in us, He is doing in us for His glory and for our good. And once we we grasp that truth and take it to our heart, then, friends, we're able to go forward in the day, tomorrow morning, to a new day, to a new series of problems and trials we don't know yet anything about. But can we face them? Yes, most definitely we can face them because we know that God is working in us and He's working through us for His own honor and for the honor of King Jesus. And therefore we would say, Lord, not my will, but Thy will be done, O God, in my life. Because I will say, friends, when we come to that point in our Christian experience, it is then that we will know 
supreme peace and joy and of resting our all upon Him and casting aside all the small things that come by our path. May the Lord write His Word upon our hearts tonight. And friend, if you're not a believer, if you don't know Christ, then I would say to you, come and trust in Him. Call upon Him that you might know the joy and the peace of the Savior in your heart. We're going to close by singing hymn number 232. Two hundred and thirty-two, according to thy gracious word, in meek humility, this will I do, my dying Lord, I will remember thee. Let's stand, please, to sing. Note the words of verse 3, Gethsemane, can I forget, or there conflict see? or thy conflict see, thine agony and bloody sweat, and not remember thee.
Father, we pray tonight that as You have promised to keep our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus, that when our faculties fail and we're unable to operate as once we have, yet, Lord, I pray that we will never forget, that we will never cast aside the wonder of so great salvation. We know, Lord, that we are on Your heart and mind continually. We know that, blessed Savior, we are written upon Your hands, upon Your shoulders, and You bear us continually before the throne in heaven. And, O Lord, with such great truth and such wonder, let us proceed forward Let us continue on in the battle of truth and light. And Father, we pray that when we come to that day when we will stand before You in glory, that Lord, it will be all to the praise and the wonder and the majesty of our God. So Lord, hear our prayer tonight. What about the unsaved, Lord, here, maybe in our service, watching online tonight, someone who will hear this message at another time. O oh God, work in the hearts of everyone outside of Christ. Bring to the foot of the cross and save, Lord, we pray. So hear our prayer now. Part us in Thy fear and which with Thy rich blessing. Lord, we know we come to the One who is able to keep us from falling and to present us spotless in the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.